Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So over the last several years, I have had the opportunity to serve as an executor for three estates. It is hard work. It takes up a lot of time. In most cases, it felt like a part-time job. It's not easy if you ever find yourself appointed over an estate. Come talk to me. I can hopefully pass along some valuable lessons that I learned the hard way. I will tell you this. It seems, in my opinion, that most companies... Most corporations have little knowledge concerning estate matters. It was shocking time after time as I talked to customer service reps how ill-prepared they were for estate issues and estate questions and how unwilling they seemed to want to help. And this is from the largest companies to the smallest companies. It was as if no one had ever died and called them about these type issues. It was perplexing. But I will say this. There is one company that stood out above them all. They were unbelievable. They were incredible. In fact, at one point, they were offering me advice on how to deal with another company regarding an estate issue. It's American Express. I had to call them several times. And their level of service and their concern was unbelievable. It was unreal. In fact, they're the only company I ever remember saying, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry you're having to go through this. Let us help. And I remember one time I was talking with them on the phone. It was a very difficult and a very challenging issue. They had spent over an hour with me trying to help, trying to come up with a solution, trying to right the matter. And they did. And when the phone call was over, I was telling the customer service rep how much I appreciated his help. And right before the phone conversation was over, he said, and this is not their commercial campaign any longer, but we're all familiar with it. He said, membership has its privileges. And I just laughed, and he laughed, and I hung up the phone, and I walked away thinking, he's right. With American Express, it had its privileges. It was a benefit to me. And I was grateful and I was thankful. And so as we come to 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, in particular as we look at verses 8, 9, and 10, one of the things that we're going to surmise from this is the Apostle Paul is reminding us that belonging to Christ has its what? Privileges. Let's pray. Oh God, your word is so grand and so incredible. 
use it through your spirit to change us. Help us to look more like Jesus. Help us to live for Him. Father, set me aside as you speak this morning for my sins are great. Help us to all hear for our sins are great. Amen. So, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy because there, is, there are issues within the church that he planted in Ephesus. He has sent his protege to pastor this new church and to bring settlement to all of the problems that seem to be taking place. It's causing great conflict. It's causing great confusion. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 7 and Paul talks about to Timothy and to this church, he speaks about the importance of prayer. And he says to them, you need to be praying for your leaders because we need calmness, we need a life that it was out conflict and turmoil, hint, hint, Because the gospel needs to go forward. Because all types of people in Ephesus and in the ancient Middle East and around the world need to hear about Jesus. And it's particularly challenging and difficult when there is trouble and there is conflict and there are issues in the church and secondarily in society. And so pray for peace. Pray for your leaders so that the gospel may go forward. Paul also encourages this church plant to pray for all types of people. Pray for the wealthy, pray for the poor, pray for Jews, pray for Gentiles, pray for all kinds of different people because we want them to know Jesus Christ and His grace and His mercy and His love. And it's pleasing to God when you do this. So Paul is talking about prayer and the significance of prayer and prayer and worship. And then he pauses for a second and he talks about his authority. Now, this is going to be important next week and the weeks to come, but it's important now. Paul is saying, listen to me, hear me, Don't follow the teachings and the practices and the beliefs of these false teachers that are in your midst. Believe what I have to say because I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has appointed me as an apostle divinely sent to the Gentiles. So my words have authority. My words are backed up by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is significant for us as well. Because we believe that the Word of God is true. We believe that it is inerrant, that it is infallible. And so we must gravitate to verse 7, understanding that Paul is speaking on the behalf of Jesus, who met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life. He gave him eyes to see. He taught him and he specifically and specially appointed him For his role. So when the church in Ephesus listens to what Paul has to say, they are to believe it because it's backed by Jesus. And when we listen to the words of Paul thousands of years later, in the culture in which we live, in the world in which we live, Paul is saying, 
listen to me because my words are backed by Jesus. So, verse 7 has grand significance as you work your way through this letter because Paul is reminding his readers then, he's reminding his readers now, he will remind his readers a hundred years from now that Jesus stands behind all of the Word of God and thus we must rightly divide the Word of God and listen to the Word of God and obey the Word of God. And so then we come to verse 8. And Paul here has instruction for men in worship. Pray with your hands lifted. Pray with holy hands. Now this is a reference to temple worship. This is a reference to the priest who would consecrate themselves they would wash themselves they would wash their hands that you must have a pure heart when you pray to the Lord God that washing of hands and lifting of hands is an outward sign of an inward reality an outward sign of an inward reality when you would, in the time in which Paul lived, in the time in which Jesus lived, if you approached the temple and you were not a priest who had been consecrated for worship and for prayer, who would lift his holy hands, his cleansed, consecrated hands to God, if you were coming for worship, you too would wash your hands, you would cleanse your hands. It was a sign that you belonged to the Lord, that you had set yourself apart, that your heart was pure. And this is who we are to be as the people of God. Pure hearts, holy hands, lifted up in prayer. But then notice this. He says, without anger and quarreling. Now, Paul knows men, right? I mean, it's very clear that he knows what men are like. We are angry and we quarrel a lot. And Paul is also cognizant of the issues that are going on within this church. And he's saying that when you pray to the Lord, do not be angry with each other. Do not quarrel. Now this goes back to 1 through 7. Why is it important that we not be angry with each other in the church? Why is it important that we not quarrel? Again, the watching world. God, it pleases God that all types of people come to know His Son, Jesus. And when we are angry, and when we quarrel, when we are at conflict with one another, within the family of God, what message does it send to those around us? That Jesus cannot bring peace. That He cannot bring harmony. That this is not something that I want to be a part of. Why would I join this fellowship when this is what they represent? So Paul is giving instruction to men in worship then. He's giving instruction to us in worship now that we come before the Lord with pure hearts, that we are right with our Redeemer, and that we do not quarrel and bicker, and that we do not have conflict with one another, that we should be at peace 
that we should be godly, that we should have pure hearts. Verse 2 says, if you go back to verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Think about that. A godly life, dignified in every way. Philip Ryken also talking about this passage in his commentary, he reminds us that according to Jesus, we are not to come to worship until we settle a dispute. So Paul is saying, pray with holy hands, with pure hearts. Do not quarrel, do not have conflict. And then when we think about Matthew 5, 23-24, this is so significant to the Lord that we are not supposed to gather here as God's people, as a family united in Christ, if we have a dispute with each other. Or another brother and sister outside of this congregation. Leave this place and go settle that dispute. This is how significant this is to our Father in Heaven. Here's what Jesus says. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Great instruction for men regarding prayer and worship and conflict and peaceful living and reconciliation. And now Paul speaks to the women in Ephesus in verse 9 and 10. Now, many have joked through the years that Paul, no doubt, was a single man. That's why he talks about what women should wear in verse 9 and 10. Because any married man knows that you step away from any comments or any suggestions regarding what a lady might wear. Avery has a winter formal in a few weeks, and so she's trying on dresses. And Vicky is offering strategic advice the entire time. My role as her padre, that's what she calls me, my role with every single dress is to say, you're beautiful. You look wonderful, which she does. So it's easy to say, but that's true. You look great. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so good. So when you come to verses 9 and 10, you begin to think, whoa, Paul, what are you doing? Pump the brakes. Slow down. Why are you saying this? Now, we make the mistake when we come to this passage of interpreting this through the lens of modern culture through 2022, and we see gold, and we see pearls, and we think, now that's asinine. What's wrong with wearing a gold necklace? What's wrong with wearing pearls? So it's important that we come to grips with the cultural setting of the day in which Paul lived, and what was happening in Ephesus. Now, if you do not know, this is where the temple of Artemis was located the goddess Diana, a fertility god. 
And so as they are worshiping in a home in Ephesus, more than likely, they can see this temple off in the distance. And this temple is surrounded by prostitutes who serve the people who go to the temple to offer sacrifices. And guess what the prostitutes did? They wore their hair, as scholars say, as high as they possibly could. And they would adorn their hair with very expensive jewelry. And this was also a common practice among the very wealthy. And it would take hours and hours to do this, and they would spend an untold fortune decorating their hair. And so Paul is saying to the women in the church that this is ostentatious. This is over the top. You're flaunting your wealth in a church family where other people may be extremely poor. And that's making their life hard and challenging. And you look like the temple prostitutes. We are here to worship the one true God, the risen Savior, the mediator between God and men. We are not to take on the appearance of the false gods and false worship. And so it's significant that we understand what this means in context. Paul is saying to the women who are a part of the Christian church, you should be respectful and dignified. That you should honor the Lord Jesus. That you should think about others. You should not have a proclivity to dress like those who worship a false god, who are prostitutes. And so as we think about Paul's admonition, his words of wisdom, it is a reminder to us that dress is an outward sign of an inward reality. We see this in Paul's words to the men. Holy hands. Outward sign of an inward reality. Pure heart. And he says to the women, consider your dress in light of the circumstance. It can be an outward sign of an inward reality. Paul wants men and women in the church in Ephesus to worship the Lord with pure hearts. He is giving them instruction regarding prayer and it ultimately it ultimately speaks to the condition of the heart. And so as we think about this passage men Paul is telling us to pray with holy hands. He's telling us to pray with a pure heart. To come before the Lord in prayer, in worship, with a pure heart. 
So maybe you're asking the same question that I asked myself this week. How is that possible? How is it possible for me to pray to Christ my King when I feel like everything but His servant? When I feel like I'm a sinner? When I feel like I've failed Him? When I feel like I'm far from Him? When I feel like I cannot obey Him? When I feel unrighteous and unholy and imperfect, how am I supposed to offer up a prayer to Him? How am I to have a pure heart and clean hands? As Paul is speaking about in this passage. And then I'm reminded of verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Paul is talking about praying for how it pleases God that we pray for all types of people. And he mentions that God is our Savior. That He has saved me. And so my prayers are not contingent upon who I am. My prayers are contingent upon who Jesus is and who I am in Jesus. That because He is my older brother, because He loves me and accepts me and forgives me and He's redeemed me and he, I have union with Him, I am made holy and I am made righteous even as I struggle in this fallen world with sin. So, as I've said previous times before, when God sees me, He does not see all my failures. He sees Jesus and His perfect righteousness. And that belongs to me because that is a gift He has given me. And so I am able to come to the Lord in prayer and offer up my heart to Him. I am able to pray with a pure heart because I have a Savior who has redeemed me, who gives me hope. Because I'm lost without it. And I cannot pray. But God longs for us to come to Him in prayer because Jesus is at His right hand interceding for us, which means my prayers are heard. So men have hope. Ladies too. Women, ladies, Trinity, you hear Paul's advice, and he says in verse 10 that you should profess godliness with good works. Again, an outward sign of an inward reality that your good works are a result of how He has changed you and you love Him. But I feel so ungodly. It is so hard to profess because I feel so sinful. And I feel so ungodly. And I don't know about good works because it seems more often than not that I struggle as a mother, I struggle as a wife, I struggle as a woman, I struggle as a business person. I struggle with sin and the pressures that are in my life. I'm not all that I should be. I don't measure up. How can I profess? How can I have good works when I feel like I... And just not all that. How can I pray? 
and look at verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now Paul is speaking to women, but this is true of men as well. You can profess your faith because it is a gift that God gives to you through that mediator, Jesus Christ. And your good works do matter. Because He is the mediator. Because Jesus stands before the Father and ladies, He says, they belong to Me. I am their older brother. I have paid the price for them. I dearly, dearly love them. And so know that your failures are made right in Jesus and He hears your prayers. Men, your failures are made right in Jesus and He hears your prayers. Paul has talked a lot about prayer in this passage and know that it is Jesus who is praying for us, who intercedes for us, that enables us as God's people to pray all kinds of prayers. He makes us right. And He makes us praying people. Yeah. So, belonging to Jesus, it definitely has His privileges. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that in our weakness and our sinfulness, that You cover over our sins. That You love us that you care for us, that you pray for us, that you are our mediator, our savior, and that all of our failures are washed away by your blood. It's in your name we pray. Amen.